travesty of time equilibrium. Hello, world, I'm in lockdown, girl. It's misbehavior. Welcome, listeners, to the Misbehavior Journal Club. I'm Amiel Moreno, PhD, here with Leah Kravit, Banff. And we are two scientifically trained and certifiably funny females bringing you the behind the scenes look at the latest neuroscience research. Well, not today. With humor, polyamory, and humanity. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are uh, talking about a subject in general, like a main topic with a lot of other little researchery things in there on human behavior today. So no latest neuroscience research right now. Which it's been pointed out to me, I'm not the first person to note this, but have you ever seen a paper where they say some obvious statement like, some neurons produce dopamine? Mothers like their children. Some mothers... (laughs) Like their children sometimes. I had to find a citation for that once. I okay. Yeah, that that reminds me of a citation I saw for um like sex is an important part of human life. And they gave <laughs> <laughs> the citation, which is good hygiene, but very silly. You had to uh, find a maternal behavior is important citation. Yeah. Mm. Mammals tend to care for their offspring. It was, and it was such a general thing that nobody had been saying that. Fuck. Okay. That's the kind of thing where you cite, like, the entirety of principles of neuroscience. <laughs> I, I literally, I saw a paper and it, it gave some obvious statement. And then its reference was just the entire intro neuro textbook. I was like, you don't you have that? to put the page number? I think it was pages like one through and... <laughs> It wasn't that exactly. But yeah, they cited an entire fucking book. Uh, Good for them. Yeah, at the time I was like, come the fuck on. But now, yeah, like with that thing that you had to prove, you just, uh, parentheses, look outside, end paren. (laughs) So we've got a main topic that we're talking about that's a little bit of a spillover from our Halloween episodes. So enjoy. Or don't. See if I give a fuck. Hey, we need them. No. Oh, uh, in, please, uh, please enjoy. Yeah, Definitely. might as well start with the shared announcements after something like that. Find us on <laughs> Patreon <laughs> and give us 100 pennies or 200 pennies. They will bring you good luck. Will they? How do we know? Mm. We'll talk about that later. Mm, I'm intrigued. That makes Go. me want to listen. Further. Yes. <laughs> They've already downloaded it. They can't change anything now. And listeners, even if you don't enjoy this episode, spend money anyway. People spend money all the time on things that they don't enjoy. I know. And don't you want to buy me a coffee? I want a coffee. Yeah, make Amiel nervous and shit. Oh man, I need to cut down on it. And it's just one drink. I just have, have I already bitched to you about this? No, hit me. Okay, well, like I noticed I'm getting like anxious and stuff and I think to myself, well, maybe you should look at the things you're doing. And one of them is a coffee that I have every day. And it's like a single one. Just, I can't even have one. I can't, like other people are down in like five cups. It seems like when I went to 12 ounces instead of 16, like things got a little bit better and I, I cannot find joy in my life. I'm not allowed. (laughs) How do you feel about decaf? 
Would you go Ugh. there? No, it's like non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> Get out of town. Okay, so you want some of the effects of caffeine, just not the negative effects. You you want to you want to pick me up. What about that uh mushroom shit? I've never looked into that. I don't know what that's all about. But so great news. I have a manuscript that I submitted today. Hey, muscle tub! Yay! Yes. Oh, that is a big fucking deal. Yeah, longtime listeners will remember me talking about this last fall, I think, or maybe the fall before that, trying to get this manuscript put together. I'm I'm pretty sure, Amiel, it was the late fall of 2020. Oh my god. Yeah, that makes sense. It was a lot of stuff that just needed to be redirected and we needed to motivate things because we didn't get the results we thought. I also had the most terrifying experience. My PI found a mistake that I made that explains a lot of my heartbreak and pain that I experienced during grad school because I messed up Exxon 4 1V with Exxon 5V. Oh my god. Oh, you. Oh my god. Oh, I am I... having such a visceral reaction to your pain right now. Holy shit. And the Nightmare. relief, but the, the thunderous. Ah, oh my god. That's okay. <laughs> I feel like such a fucking idiot. And people are like, ooh, neuroscience PhD? Like, that's the first thing that goes through my head now. Like, <laughs> couldn't tell the difference between Exxon's. <laughs> It hurts. <sighs> it hurts so bad. It explains things. That's nice. But fuck a duck. What a fucking wasted time. I hate everything. I hate everything. You know what? But there are so many things that go into setting up an experiment that gets at the variables that you want to get at in the conditions mm-hmm. that you are capable of getting at. And you have done all of that with mm. one Exxon. Do you have any idea how lucky the next student to come in is, or the next postdoc who's like, is there a project that's almost completely walked through and troubleshot, and like the track is laid? You have you have paved the way for mm-hmm. someone after you to have an easier time getting results. I'm so sorry. I'm that so was sorry. one of three reasons why I wanted to get this published, is that so other people don't do the same thing again. Because it seems like a good idea, and they might have this good idea, and now they don't have to do this. They can just look at the results and then do something slightly different. Yes! That's what a good paper does. I know. That is all there is to it. That was my defense for a lot of the things that I wanted to keep in the paper and my boss didn't. That's something that somebody is going to be wrestling with in the future, and they're going to wonder... Why isn't this in the literature? Because that's what I thought when I couldn't find it in the literature. Yes, the amount of times. And again, I just want to, I'm not trying to bill myself as a practicing neuroscientist. I haven't set foot in a lab for many Shh, years. But I am still riddled with very strong and plentiful memories of trying to find some very basic piece of information, like what kind of baseline am I looking for? Yes. How many of these stimuli do I want to apply to this animal? What kind of timing am I looking at? What should I expect to see? Just a fucking roadmap. And those data would most often be found in like the supplementary section Mm. of some master's thesis of 
nobody gave a shit about this enough to publish it, but we had to get the data, so here you have it. That shit is crucial. I would think so. The other two reasons why I wanted to submit this is to give everybody else, all these undergrads that I trained that helped me with this project, like give them a credit that they can like put on their resume because they did so much great work. I really wanted to pay that to them because I couldn't pay them in money. (laughs) And then like, fuck, I want a credit too. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That's the third reason. (laughs) You did the thing. This um, particular journal has a 25% acceptance rate. So fingers crossed and we'll see what happens. All right. Good luck. Everybody cross your fingers for Amiel. And that may or may not make a difference, as we will explore shortly. (laughs) So what's new with you? I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday, and (laughs) she was telling me about her relationships, plural, romantic relationships. Um, Amiel, I don't know if you're familiar, but there are people who have Mm -hmm. romantic relationships with more than one person at a time. Like, and everyone knows. Yeah, you have your wife and your guma. And you're, ah, yes. The Italian mistress. Mm -hmm. Is that Uh, what you're talking about? Does your friend have an Italian mistress? Perhaps. We didn't talk for that long. Okay. (laughs) But we talked just long enough for her to use a really useful word, uh, which was intertwined, which stood out to me because when I walk to work, I walk past all these fucking viney fuckers. They're called homeless people. Jesus Christ! You're a monster. Yes, that is who is the monster in this instance. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, there are a wide variety of bushes and trees and shit with vines growing on them. And I think about that a lot in neuroanatomical terms, obviously. But this was the first time where someone had brought a behavioral analogy to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we were talking about the counterintuitive nature of loving someone and also someone else. And using the word intertwined was great for me. So I was like, yes, you know, who else is intertwined? Plants. Yeah. Yeah. Intertwining is not like a two plant endeavor. There are always (sighs) multiple plants getting in on that dogpile. Multi-intertwinedness is as natural as penguin necrophilia. I was really upset when I was listening back to our last episode where we mentioned penguin necrophilia, because I didn't make a connection that, fuck, now I'm not remembering either. <laughs> it's good to start off our superstition episode with curses and cursedness. Mm-hmm. Some penguins that were witnessed as uh, engaging in necrophilia were mounting dead penguins that just happened to have fallen in penguin mating position mm-hmm. so it, it may have been this is what i do to penguins who are in that position if a seal is having sex with a really young penguin is it pinnipedophilia yeah, that's good that's good that's why they pay me the no money <laughs> well you have me wondering now what the technical term is for sexual attraction to babies so how about maybe we move on to <laughs> literally anything else All right, we're going on to our main topic. This is a new segment called Main Topic, because sometimes (laughs) we don't cover the news, and we don't have news and noteworthy things, and it's not a featured paper, but we are talking about science. In this segment, we're going to present a fascinating topic from the world of science. 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 
Today, we're going to be talking about superstition because I found an interesting paper about superstition being tested. And because the paper was a little bit shorter, because guess what? They found that none of the superstitions were true. Oh, shit. Oops. <laughs> oh, no. Spoiler alert, right? Because it was a shorter paper, I decided to explore this human behavior. It's a very common human pastime across the entire world. And so I thought it would be interesting to understand exactly what it is and why we might do it. Yeah. Superstitions are beliefs or behaviors that are contrary to rational thinking within a specific society. Or the best way that I heard it put, irrational mistakes in cognition. And you do not have to be a linguist or a social neuroscientist to note that is a really fucking broad definition. We do so many things that make so little sense. We're going to be focusing on a narrow subset of them, but yeah, that, but these that's are one of those. beliefs. You're we... believing in something that is irrational. Ah, thank you. Yes, we have so many beliefs that make so little sense. <laughs> we do, and some of them are not taxed by our government. Superstitions form for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one of the largest ones is just coincidence. Something happens here, A, and then another thing occurs, B, and people will assume that A is connected to B. And it could be wearing lucky socks and getting an A on an exam. And then maybe you tell your kid, oh, well, my lucky socks are blue, so maybe it's just blue socks. And so the kid thinks, oh, blue socks are lucky. And then if he tells enough people that believe him, we got it going. And that's how entire civilizations are built. Exactly. They often fill gaps in knowledge by identifying a hidden connection between events. And in the process of doing so, it kind of eases the uncertainty that the person might be experiencing. Yeah. Often when people talk about the neurobio of learning and reward, it's, it's mentioned in the context of we need to learn where to find the cookies because the cookies mm -hmm. are what's rewarding. Here's a reminder. It feels good to know shit and be confident about your knowledge of shit. That is its own reward. Yeah, it uh, decreases anxiety. And we'll talk about some of the health effects next. I don't know. I have some knowledges that increase my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trade-off. So they tend to pop up around areas of life that are more subject to chance, like uh, blowing on dice before you throw them. I'm just trying to think about any aspect of life that's less subject to chance. If you get up your own ass about it, it's all pretty fucking chancy. But yes. Let's compare it to something else. If the outcome doesn't have to do solely on skill, the likelihood that it is going to be subject to some sort of superstition increases. Gotcha. Totally on board. So the magic behind superstitions might not be real, but that doesn't mean that they don't have real-world consequences. There's uh, psychosocial factors that can, one, change our behavior, and two, affect our health. It's pretty easy to come up with an example. If you believe that an omen is bad, such as Friday the 13th, it can increase your stress. That leads to increased adrenaline secretion. And if you are a person with heart disease, then it can lead to re very real medical issues, all stemming from something that is not a rational belief. That example is a really fun word. It's the opposite of a placebo. It's a nocebo effect. 
I prefer, oh no, SIBO. Another example might be complementary therapies like acupuncture or chiropractic adjustments. They may eliminate the subjective experience of being ill and thus ease pain. These therapies that are complementary, they go with something else, they tend to survive and perpetuate when they're paired with actual effective therapies. My friend from college, she was asked to leave a chiropractor's office when she was a kid because they were trying to explain to her how it works and what they were going to do to her tiny child's mind. And she was like, this sounds bogus. (laughs) (laughs) She just wouldn't. It did not go well. They were like, yeah, you won't benefit here. (laughs) You've got to believe or it's not going to do anything. Very true. And if you won't believe, you at least have to hold still. (laughs) (laughs) And pay. (laughs) That too. They really want that. They do. And this is where you get into a little bit of an ethical dilemma. If somebody is believing and benefiting from their complementary therapies or some equivalent, fighting them or telling them that that's not true is almost hurtful for their health because it's actually having a healthy effect on them. Yeah, it's you, it, it's something that you can't do halfway. You either have to let yes. them have it or rip off that Band-Aid and then replace it with an appropriate well, Band-Aid with is a an terrible actual... example. Cause it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my uh, ex-smooth-brained boyfriend, we were talking about this, this exact, like, why would you tell them it's not real? That's cruel. You're hurting them. And I was like, well, I like they can believe whatever they want, but when it comes to what I believe, I'm not going to believe it. He's like, but it could help you too. And I'm like, yeah, except it doesn't. <laughs> except I have made the purpose of my life to explore truth. And so me looking into the benefits of, let's say, crystals would not bring me any larger understanding about something that actually exists. So it's not worth my time believing in that if my pursuit is to understand the true nature of the natural world. Mm-hmm. Maybe he grew a wrinkle or maybe he just drank it away. I don't I don't know. He doesn't even listen. He didn't even listen when we were dating, the fucking mm-hmm. asshole. Okay, I'm going to just add a bunch of beeps, like little censored <laughs> beeps right here. Do you want to put in some um, some filler words like that would that um, donkey dumpster right in his Mr. Falcon Mr. Falcon what apparently it's the it's what's dubbed in when Die Hard plays on cable uh, EPKA <gasps> Mr. Falcon I thought it was Mother Flipper. Oh, I, that well, I think there are a lot of them. There, there's some really fun ones out there. Okay. The most common superstitions concern cats, alcohol, and death. Some of my favorite things. I mean, that's the big three, yeah. Uh, These are a few of my favorite... That's not how the song goes. It's not how the song goes on me all. Well, I think there's that thing about how, you know, the, the only certain things in life are death, cats, and alcohol. Yeah, that's how that's, it goes. That's how it went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was scrolling Reddit last night and I came across a data is beautiful post 
And this is just a section of Reddit where people will take data and they put it into graph or a visualized form that actually ends up looking beautiful. Data is beautiful. One of the posts used CDC data to make a graph on what causes death in people in the U.S. who are under the age of 21. So number three was none. Nuns? No. Number Jesus Christ! That's what they say when they kill you! Oh my... The power of Christ kills... I don't know. No. Wow. None, well, okay. I meant to say non-gun suicide. Number three leading cause in the death of people under 21 in the U.S. Number two, just guns. Homicide in general. Number two. And the number one way that these individuals are dying in America is cats. I'm sorry, what? And I thought to myself, well, shit, maybe we should be superstitious about it. Cats are, <laughs> Why are causing we keeping them in so our homes? Much. Why are they around? I immediately, like, it, yeah, I wish somebody had a radar gun on me for how quickly I went, CDC, cats killed <laughs> individuals under 21, rapidly typing things as fast as possible. And um, it said cars. It oh! <laughs> it said, oh! Oh, shit, yeah. It said oh. it, cats aren't killing people. That's so different. Number one way. Like, oh. That's so different. <laughs> it's your mutual defecation moment. Yes, it yeah. certainly is. All right, so let's talk about an actual study. How about that? Oh, what? On this podcast? I know. This study comes out of the journal The Laryngoscope. It's titled Superstition and Post-Tonsillectomy Hemorrhage. It's out of Temple University. The first author is Kumar, and the last author is Isaacson. How the hell did you find this paper? I was doing some research on some of the differences medically between people with and without red hair. Sure. One of the superstitions that we're going to be discussing involves redheads. All right. Superstitions, like I've previously described, they persist in society and they also persist in the medical community. There are several magical beliefs that persist in the otolaryngologist community. Tonsillectomies is the removing of your tonsils, and it used to be linked with the, there used to be a lot of post operative bleeding associated with the procedure. But now that we are advanced enough in how this procedure is performed, there's only around like a 5% chance that a bleed or a hemorrhage will happen after the surgery. This is during recovery. There are four superstitions surrounding post-tonsillectomy hemorrhage. One, it's associated with the lunar phase. Full moons mean more chance of bleeding. Two, it happens in clusters of three. Oh, man, I had two bleeders last week. It means that, you know, somebody this week is about to bleed, which is what every surgeon should say <laughs> before they get started for the day. <laughs> Someone's about to bleed. Number three, it occurs more frequently on Friday the 13th. And number four, redheaded children are more likely to bleed after tonsillectomy. Mm. So using the records at Temple University Children's Medical Center, the researchers here examined the occurrences of post-tonsillectomy hemorrhage statistically with the phases of the moon, Friday the 13th days, clusters of three within a seven-day period, and on children afflicted with red hair. <laughs> afflicted. I'll flick to you. So let's talk a little bit about one of these very interesting superstitions, the fear of the number 13, or... Triskaidekaphobia. 
Without any citations, one of the sources I found said that it's, quote, the fear of number 13 is as old as the act of counting. Primitive man only had 10 fingers and two feet to use as counting units. So what lay beyond the number 13 was a frightening mystery. Oh, fuck whoever wrote that. I know. There was no... I'm sorry. I didn't go into the anthropological world to try to verify this. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking about all the different numbering systems there are in the world. (sighs) Dumbass. Another fun version of where this fear of 13 came from is in Norse folklore. The day Friday was named after the god Freya, the goddess of sex and fertility. They also make pretty good bras, or at least they did 10 years ago. Norse people? What, who do you, uh, you talk about? A company named Freya. Oh, good okay. point of clarification. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> like any great woman, her sacred animal was cats. Later, the folklore became kind of twisted in that she was now a witch. Probably. I'm going to blame that on the Christians. I haven't even read it. Sex and fertility are terrifying. Disgusting and evil. So she turned into a witch in folklore, and her day became associated with evil stuff. Okay. So in one citation I found, they said, As the legend goes, twelve witches of the north gathered with their cats in a cemetery to observe their Sabbath. One day... Freya appeared before the witches and gave them a cat, forming a coven of 13, making Friday the 13th the unluckiest day of the year. Again, no citation to any anthropological anything, but it's a good story. (laughs) It also is a sequel to Cats that writes itself, frankly. (laughs) Like, that's what we need in the world, Leah. It is, though. It truly is. I can't remember many times in an actual movie theater that I had a more memorable and exciting experience than when I went to see Cats with Tom. It was mm-hmm. incredible. Well, and, 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 and so many of the reviews were just people processing it, you know, where you write all these different pieces where it's just people said, hey, something happened. <laughs> and I, I don't know how to describe it. Or what it did to me. If good art is measured by how long it lasts with you, that movie is a classic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yes, all right. Cats in multiple contexts. Tell me more about these. Lyrical cats, we're the jellical cats. They're jellical cats. We're jellical cats for like 10 minutes straight. Just 10 mm-hmm. minutes of the same song. I went to the bathroom during a song that I didn't like. And then came back, and the song was still going. <laughs> oh my god, it was so much fun. Uh, <laughs> Tom went into the, I'm going to totally blow up his fun. Tom went into the men's room and smoked out of a vape. And then, like, as he was leaving, somebody else from that same theater walked in, and he was like, gave this knowing look of, what the fuck are we watching? <laughs> Yes, I have never had an, an experience that was that communal and disorienting. Oh yeah, and there was like there was two people in front of us that was a oh it was like maybe a twelve to fifteen year old girl and her mm-hmm. father, 
And I could tell that the dad had wanted to bond with his daughter with a fun movie. And here was an entire theater where everybody else in the audience was in on this joke that we're all laughing at the movie. And they weren't upset. They weren't disappointed or frustrated. They were just kind of confused. I think that was in another review I read. <laughs> yeah, that's like with the mom. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. This is, I'm not disappointed. I'm just oh, the worst. Completely disoriented. Don't know what's happening. They unzipped their fur to reveal a like clothing mm. under the fur that mm. had fur under it. You don't know as a kid that grown-ups can just make shit up. <laughs> Oh, oh my god. Okay, another interesting thing, fact about Friday the 13th. This is one of my favorites. Uh, our calendar is based on something called the Gregorian calendar, and it follows a pattern with leap years that it will repeat itself in 400 years. So if year one has January the 1st on a Tuesday, Year 401 will have January 1st on a Tuesday. This means that there are 4,800 months in this 400-year period. The number 13 happens 4,800 times then. The 13th of the month is slightly more likely to be on a Friday than any other day of the week. I dig it. Mm-hmm. I dig it so much. It's one of the top... 28 repeating combinations of numbers with days of the week. That makes it sound like it was on a countdown list that I would have watched on VH1 at like two in the morning. (laughs) This is Casey Kasem bringing you the... (laughs) If you're curious, the least repeated one is, of course, you know, the 31st because there are less of them and it's on a Wednesday. 31st on a Wednesday is the least repeating one. Anyways, so they also... (laughs) So the moon phase didn't affect the tonsillectomy bleeding. The trichodecophobia did not increase the risk of bleeding, but did affect the surgical schedule. So when they were realizing that, no, the patients don't seem to experience a bleed on Friday the 13th, uh, even when we extend it a little bit further so that we are looking at an amount of time that has more Friday the 13th, just so we can tell. But what they did find is evidence of the medical community having superstition around Friday the 13th because the number of tonsillectomies that were scheduled for that day was very low. God damn. I know. I thought that that was something that I wanted a little bit more information on. I might be reading between the lines a little bit too much. Isaacson, thank you so much for the paper. He gave me the PDF for it. Okay. Oh, he had to listen to that whole thing about cats. All right, we're going. (laughs) I have a... (laughs) What? In the ER, at least, there is lore that shit is crazy on a full moon. Apparently, even the most objective and straight-minded, mm-hmm. stodgy old empiricist fucks will be like, oh, it's a full moon. Ah. <laughs> there are 15% less homicides in Finland during a full moon, and huh. we don't know exactly why. Yeah, the homicide rate goes down, but apparently the accident rate is unaffected by full moon in some of the stuff that I was looking at. But then again, these are just specific locations. I bet in an area of the world where the full moon isn't as prominent, like 
their nighttime hours aren't as many as Finland, like you might see less of an effect. Yeah, or or, or um, like apparently this has been written up in papers. I think they're legit, but not my field. So grain of salt. Uh, <laughs> I would rather give that disclaimer than do any work. Um, but there's some. <laughs> For instance, lion attacks on humans are apparently, from what I've read and forgotten immediately, um, are more common after a full moon. As I understand it, the theory goes that uh, during the full moon, there's more light out, so Mm -hmm. it's harder for lions to hunt the animals that they usually hunt. And as they get hungrier, like right after the full moon... Uh-huh. Uh, it's a riskier time to be a human near lions because they're oh, more okay. desperate. Yeah. When we talk about cyclical shit, um, I would like to direct your attention to uh, menstrual synchrony. Oh, it, come right? on. Oh, women. Jeez, you can't <laughs> stop talking about it. I spend so much of my life not talking about menses. I would like so much more credit. Like, shouldn't um, there be, like, a ratio of, like, how many days you're experiencing yeah. it versus how often it comes yeah. up in conversation? <laughs> <laughs> Got that whole, whole world just blossomed in front of me. Uh, but yes, one of the reasons why that was such a, that was and remains such a hard thing to wrap our minds around as a society is that math is really hard when shit is cyclical. It's really hard to tangle out correlation and causation and spurious associations. I'm saying I have a lot of respect for the biostatisticians that they had to bring into this endeavor. Uh, Because between the lunar cycle stuff and the calendar stuff, even just the stuff we've touched on here, that's so much fucking math to make sure you're not catching spurious associations. Oh, those poor fucks. You know, to be honest, I thought I could do this study. Like, a lot of the superstition research that I found would fit on two ends of the spectrum. One, I could do this. This only has one author. And the other <laughs> side of the spectrum is, let's go into intense mathematics on the probability of error one and error two and prove definitively that superstitions can propel themselves in a society. And I was like, I'm not reading that thing. <laughs> We used math to find out that humans aren't good with the logic. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay, continuing with their findings. They couldn't find enough clusters of three to perform a true analysis on if things happen in three, which is almost telling that they don't happen in three because they couldn't find enough things that happened (laughs) in three. Hint one, yeah. And then finally... Red-headed children were not more prone to post-operative tonsil bleeding. That's good to... I mean, yeah, that's one of those things where it's... I. That's, okay, yep. That's irrelevant. That's a, of all of the questions that are silly, that is the least silly one, just biologically. The silliest thing that I read in relation to that is... I think it was a paper in the British Medical Journal that was saying... Hey, surgeons, you can't use this as an excuse for why you experienced a large amount of bleeding in one of your redheaded patients. It's not true. Okay. So the idea that it's used frequently as an excuse of poor surgical outcomes was a little bit scary. Yeah, that's almost as scary as the idea of being told that your pain is just due to you being a lady. 
or we're the... not talking about menses again, are we? No, that's the thing. We're talking about normal human pain that is occasionally chalked up to having lady parts. You are just a ball of sunshine. So, in conclusion... <laughs> I'm a ball of highly processed sunshine, as are this you. This study determined that post-tonsillectomy hemorrhage rate is not restrained by invisible fates that govern our destiny, or common recognized metaphysical powers. But being a good scientist, we must point out that this does not necessarily apply to other medical procedures. <laughs> Only your tonsils are safe. <laughs> I came across a couple of interesting theories about superstition that I'm going to discuss now. I don't know. <laughs> What's... I think that's a great intro. Me segue now. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good segue. You knocked over my mic guard. I came across a number of different interpretations of why superstitions exist. Markle, in 2010, wrote something about how magical thinking influences anxiety in a way that allows us to perform better on a task. And while studying this, they found in low-stress situations, superstitions did not affect performance. But when the anxiety around an activity was higher, then they did see an effect. And that kind of piggybacks on something else that came out in 2010. Ooh, that's interesting. They probably were racing with each other to put out mm. put out their research on superstition. Rudsky and Edward in 2010 were talking about how superstitions and rituals, the rates of them go up as the stakes get higher. And they decrease, particularly in situations where a person gains confidence or experience. So superstition can be conceived of as something that's rolled into net effort. Blowing on a... Mm. I think it's a, just a decrease of stress associated with something that has higher rate of probability or higher huh, chance of being based on luck. I don't... I think that's an oxymoron or that those are two negatives and so it makes it positive. I don't know what type of sentence I just constructed, but it's not sound. It is condemned. Next sentence. Welcome to my world. Is good. Okay. <laughs> so I think that while we might rely on superstitions a little bit, you know, lucky socks, earlier in the learning process, once a certain level of confidence is gained or expertise, those superstitions and practices fall away. Well, and in that way, I think, and it's a very good chance that I'm wrong and what I'm about to say hasn't been thought out, but here we go. Anyway, <laughs> um, so it seems like a good extreme example of the general way that when we learn, we take a big ball of unknowns and just kind of hone in over time on the parts that actually matter. So on the list of the things that you're like, oh, it actually doesn't matter if I do this part twisting or not, like it'll go in either way. Mm -hmm. um, that's what she said. Or if you look at something like it actually doesn't matter, matter whether I use this kind of nail or that kind of nail, like the result is the same in that category is also like, oh, it doesn't matter if it's a full moon or not. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> That doesn't make a difference here. So it's interesting that like, you can be so good at sorting out the chaff. You can be a chemist doing crystallography, right? 
and you're like, okay, this variable doesn't matter, this variable doesn't matter, I'm so fucking good at chemistry, yeah, I'm so disciplined, I know all the things that are important and the things that aren't. But first, before I run my reaction, let me kiss my lucky keychain. Like, there's one last irrelevant thing in there. That's, well, they did see that, that. Um, events that have a lot to do with luck are still going to hold on to that. So even expert-level people will have examples of superstition because they're doing things that happen to depend on, you know, okay, I'm running this crystallography, let's hope the machine works. That's something I don't have control over. And so the superstition can still stick to that aspect of the process. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. And this is really causing a transformation here about the way I think about superstition. Uh, I dig that. One place that superstitions persist is in baseball. One study I found looked at American versus Japanese baseball players and the superstitions around their practices and performing at high levels of sports ball. The majority of the players in both groups report superstitious behavior, so it's a good group to study in this realm. Yet the majority admitted that they are not confident that their superstitious thing does anything at all. <laughs> It would be weird if they did. Well, then why do they still do it is, I think, the next question. Because some things you just gotta do. But I... Because risking not... Uh, but I always like, do um, this. There's this uh, professional American football player that apparently makes himself throw up before every game, always has, and just continues to do it, even at this incredibly oh, high level of um, performance. Physical performance. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Now I have a question for you. Who do you think had more superstitions, the Americans or the Japanese baseball players? I'm going to go to a deep and like horrifyingly deep rabbit hole of wondering what counts as a superstition and how you itemize superstitions. Are, are you talking like discrete actions like i do this because or i wear this or it could I be things this. that you do it could be things that oh the game is on a friday the 13th we're not gonna do well like they didn't okay so active it. and passive yeah sure super hmm uh okay being terribly sloppy and doing no work like i'm just bothers me come on yeah no the this is the kind of question that's You're fine designed. talking out of your ass all the rest of the times. And the one time it, I ask you to be racist, way. you won't do it. <laughs> it's not even about race for once in ever. Really? It's um, not cultural? It's, I thought I would look at both oh, of it, these cultures and be cultural. like, where does superstition seem to play a large role? Yeah, but it could, I could be comparing Norwegian to Gaelic customs and I would still be like okay. oh, Jesus Christ I hope I'm not so on the fence about every single question you're about to ask me <laughs> later because wouldn't that be fucking annoying come on it pick would. one imagine having to live here imagine just fucking pick one Leah okay um number of discrete superstitions Americans, but that's a real hard. I don't fucking ding, know. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> they were more hey! superstitious than the Japanese players. And as a little side thing that they happened to find, a little anthropological finding, the Japanese superstitions 
generally had to do with something aiding the team, whereas the American superstitions had to do in general with it aiding them, the player, individually. Personal versus... Oh, that is awesome. I am super into that. Mm -hmm. Then there was a group of scientists back in Forstmere. I don't know. Forstmere? For... I would tell you the Roman numeral, but apparently I don't know those things. (gasps) You, holy shit. (laughs) I know. What kind thing are you doing to yourself? What trampoline are you like? Have you told? It's, um, I've added an asterisk to my diploma behind me. There's a (sighs) big asterisk. What would happen if Rachel or David came to you and told you something similar to that? What would you say to them? I would, you know, say, oh, wow, that, that really sucks. That explained it, though. Like, now yeah. you have reason to believe that you your theory wasn't wrong. It's just you didn't look at the, the thing that might have shown that it was right. But yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that's yeah. a lo- real big loss. I'm so sorry. And like, I've said all those things to me, but it's a cold comfort, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally fair. So back in Frostmare... We're looking at two kinds of mistakes in life. Getting bangs and extended warranties. No, they were looking at... I love this. Type 1 and type 2 error. So people who don't know, type 1 error is you end up believing something that's not true. So maybe a superstition in this case. You end up believing blue socks is uh, something you can do on test day to improve performance. Whereas type 2 error is rejecting the truth. These researchers were looking statistically at how can superstition continue in a animal, humans or other animals, if um, I was kind of getting at that Dr. Penguin thing you were talking about last episode. Let's do it. Penglossianism, kind of. These are evolutionary psychologists, so it's all just a guessing game. But they did <laughs> so many stats that I love them and I pet them and I cherish them. Um <laughs> But they were kind of looking at, well, how do superstitions perpetuate themselves in spite of it being false beliefs? Is there any benefit that could be given? And what it turns out is, quote, as long as the cost of the type 2 error is high enough, natural selection can favor strategies that frequently make type 1 errors and generate superstitions. This is... Exactly the sort of thing that came up when I was looking into superstitions for a little game that we're going to play at some point. And it's exactly the sentiment behind wearing your lucky shirt on playoff day. It's not necessarily about the belief that this will cause something good to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's not even about the belief that this will prevent something bad from happening. It's about how much of a piece of shit you'll feel like if you don't do the thing and they lose you will never be able to remove that tiny piece of potential responsibility from your mind and that's the end of our coverage on superstition It's closing ceremonies time. Thank you so much for staying with us. I have a quick takeaway. Takeaways are... I should maybe one day write down what takeaways are, but I like that I like have to redefine it every single time. Yeah, 
It's a good exercise. That's because takeaways can be anything that we want to keep in mind in the future or little bits of information that we think are important or goals. So my takeaway this episode is one of the three Chinese blessings that's also a curse in disguise. Love those. Love it. Love that idea. The blessing slash curse is may you get what you wish for. Mm. The blessing part, of course, is these things are desired by the subject. The curse part is interesting. It's getting at this question of, do you really want what you're actually wishing for? And what if you get it and you're still unsatisfied? That's never happened. Then the troubles in your life will become magnified and you'll be disheartened. Well, shit, Amiel. That doesn't sound very nice at all. It reminds me of what a lot of people experience when they hit their goal weight in gaining Mm. or losing weight. They have like this idea of the perfect weight that they're going to be. And they unfortunately, inadvertently, sometimes attached other things to when I hit that goal weight, things will be okay. And then you get there and it doesn't change your life as much as you thought it was going to. And then they get discouraged and end up gaining the weight back or losing it. And and the the amazing thing about that is it I mean it changes your appearance a lot, but not completely. I remember there being a moment in adulthood when I lost weight that was standing between me and hypothetically being pretty. Okay. You know, they're like, if oh, I, I know that. I know I, exactly what that is. Yeah. And then <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, there are just some truths about your face. Mm. <laughs> not the same as what you picture when you picture prettiness. That's another thing to work on. That's not a sad tale of Leah not liking her face. It's just really <laughs> funny to have found out that I had associated some facial mm. variables with weight that were not associated. I have this dimple of cellulite on my leg, and I really thought if I lost 25 Mm. pounds, it wouldn't be there. It persists. It persists. What if you cut it out? Slash Leia. Have you tried cutting it out? What do you mean mean cut it out? I mean, like, it's on the surface, right? No, but it is a dip. It is like, like, it looks like somebody scooped something out already. I need to, like, pat something into it. Oh, like pack it. I need to yeah. pack. Could you get a dimple. piercing? Could you get a cellulite piercing? Don't know what I could do. It's <laughs> like a flock. I can I want to work it into a tattoo. So. I am having so much fun right now. I really thought it would go away. Like I just like that's a Why lot not? of pounds of thing. Why? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Why not? I, I, it makes sense intuitively to me. Yeah, if it's stuff, stuff being three D, less stuff. Nope. Sorry, bro. I have, I have so many theories on weight loss, but that's all a big, lovely tangent that we'll hit on when we talk about things uh, in regards to food. Probably around a Thanksgiving episode in the future. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Timely. The other takeaway. I've got two takeaways here. Excellent. The other one is. Um, Something that we should really add to a growing list of scientific insults that you could potentially serve out to dumb people (laughs) and they wouldn't quite understand what we were saying. The phrase, irrational mistakes in cognition, seems to have like a little bit of a bite to it if you are on the receiving end. Well, and I I think really sticking it to these stupid people is hearing them say, (laughs) wait... (laughs) 
what's a rational mistake in cognition? And then you're like, aha, there is a difference. Let's talk about it. And then what started as an insult becomes a beautiful friendship of you explaining things. That's not very um, collaborative of me to come up with insults ahead of time, but no, it's tis oh. my nature. <laughs> Let's see. You are every... Your... What? Your lessons what? are a carnival of spurious correlations. Is that a good scientific insult? Yeah, an entire crowd just went, oh! <laughs> May your pipetting hand be as steady as your good character. Wow! Oh, <laughs> oh, shit! I'm out oh. of practice! Oh, that's good. Yeah. What's your takeaway, Leah? I have a takeaway that is based partially in yours. Because just like the curses you described, some Yiddish curses are kind of blessings with stingers. Uh, oh. There's there's a classic one, like, may you grow like an onion. And you're like, oh, yay, onions grow, yay. With your head in the ground. Oh. Seems like I would never be like, oh, thanks. <laughs> well, not now. But, you know, no, you take yourself back. Before. A couple hundred years ago, life was not as interesting, that's a lie. Life has always been fascinating. But no, it hasn't. <laughs> no, they used to celebrate people who walked really far. Like we don't do that still? We don't all gather in the town square at the arrival of a bag of flour, something that did exist. <laughs> that is true. But what would happen with the people when you met together to watch the flour? Interesting things. Okay. Um there are simpler Yiddish curses. Go shit in the ocean. <laughs> no subtlety there. No little... There's a good Japanese one that's just simply die shitting. Damn. I know. Ooh. And that gives you the double satisfaction of like likely being correct in predicting the circumstances of their demise. Not not guaranteed, but like it's, it's more... People People no longer have a sphincter when they have passed away that holds in their ship, but it doesn't mean it immediately gets pushed out. True. I, I, I think it's, if you say People die often shitting. forget that. And I have to, every day, <laughs> I feel like, it, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> How could you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there is another Yiddish curse, which I prefer um, and it's go piss in the ocean. Okay. You'd think they're diff- you, You'd think they, like, fall under the same umbrella, you know? Go shit mm -hmm. in the ocean, go piss in the ocean. And they do in a way, but I think it's just such an extra insult to direct someone to do something that shows them so clearly how unimportant their own being is. Explain. Like, Imagine watching your urine meet the ocean. Okay. How small does that make you feel? Oh my god, that's... <laughs> How infinitesimal! I thought it was like you are in the ocean as well while oh. shitting, and so it's like getting all over you. I didn't think you were hanging over the ocean and shitting. <laughs> this whole time. What? I've been picturing like on a pier. On a boat? <laughs> 
Well, I don't know which one is the correct envisioning of this, but do not look it up on Google image search. <sighs> I have to reinterpret that whole a whole body of literature. Literature? Just humanity. Holy fuck. Oh my gosh. I, I, I have one more minor takeaway, which is I kept bumping on the idea of um, irrational stuff. As we're talking about these irrational things that humans do. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're being studied as abnormalities, <laughs> you know, like what a weird thing that a human brain did something irrational. Mm. No, that is our bread and butter. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, we do the, a... It's not the best of us. <laughs> Rationality is simply irrelevant to so many neural processes that I sometimes forget what it's like to study rationality as a basis for behavior. Does that make sense? I suppose so. If you're talking about like rationality being an, an application of the brain that is solely in specific regions, you take it that direction. Oh, it's a prefrontal cortex type thing. And that isn't the majority of what the brain does. Satellites. Yes, it's okay. like one of the services brains offer sometimes. <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah, truly. I would love our listeners to take that away in their ear parts. And Thank into you. Their brain parts. Thank you're you, Leah. So welcome. Yes. Please follow the show on Twitter at MisbehaviorJC and Instagram at the same thing. You can find me, Curls PhD or at Trouble Helix with two X's. And you can find Leah at Hawks in Socks, and that's Hawks with an X. But more important than following us on anything is rating us. Give mm. us a rating. Describe your experience. It will take like 60 seconds of your life and it will mean so much to both of us. I love the framing. Describe your experience. Yeah, that's all we want. Please. And thank you. And tell your friends. And tell your enemy, just don't tell your PI. And make sure to tell them on a full moon. That part is super yeah. important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then a lion comes out of nowhere. <laughs> and pulls him away. <laughs> we really hope you join the club again soon. Mm -hmm.